greatest need. We are joined in the studio tonight with Dr. Peter Hammond. Welcome, Dr. Hammond. Thank you, Ron. Who, why is Africa strategic for missions? Well, Africa is the second largest continent in the world. It's a crossroads of Africa, Europe, and Asia in many ways, and there's a major clash or worldviews going on between Islam in the north, animism in the center, and Christianity, particularly in the south. But in Africa, you're seeing a major war, a world war of worldviews going on between Islam, animism, and Christianity in a battle for the soul of a continent, although Christianity is most certainly winning. Africa is strategic because we have the fastest growing churches in the world. And in many ways, Africa is becoming very fast the largest Christian community in the world. It's going to be the continent with the most Christians. In fact, by 2050, it is estimated that there could be more Christians in Africa than the rest of the world combined. So the strategic importance of Africa is huge. Just think, for example, the Anglican Church. There's vastly more Bible-believing evangelical Anglicans in Africa than are in the whole of North America and the British Isles. To put it even more specific, there are more Anglicans in church every Sunday in Nigeria and Uganda and Sudan than are in the whole of the British Isles and Canada, Australia, and New Zealand combined. So this is strategic because we've got a lot of friends amongst the Anglicans in Sudan. And I warned them about Lambeth Conference coming up in 1998 that this was going to be LGBTQ, gay agenda, gay priests, gay marriages. And they were we were sitting around the campfires in Sudan and I was saying, surely not. And I said, this is where it's going. You need to know these things to counter it. And they did a tremendous job. Lambeth Conference got awfully frustrated when they were unable to ambush and hijack the whole denomination to approve gay marriages, gay priests, gay bishops, and all the rest of it, because the African bishops opposed them. And later on, when we were reporting back, the African bishops saying to me, we had these white pastors telling us that we only uh, believe the Bible on this and oppose these things because we're uneducated and stupid. Now, how's that for arrogant liberals in the West? They... They rejected the black Christians because the black Christians of Africa were being Bible-based. They weren't being ignorant and uh, stupid. They were actually being biblical. And as the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So this is not just the importance of reaching Africa for Africa's sake, but the sense of equilibrium in the church is moving from the northern hemisphere to the southern hemisphere, from the western hemisphere to the eastern. And so Africa is part of what is called the third world or the developing world. And I think what you're going to, some people like to refer to it as the two-thirds world because Africa, Asia, and South America are really two-thirds of the world's population, even though it's often called the third world after the new world, the old world, Europe, the new world, America, the third world, Africa, and Asia, and the rest. But Africa is becoming a center of equilibrium for many denominations and Christianity as a whole. So that you can see this at world missions conferences when I was involved in the Cape Town 2010, which is Lausanne 3 the biggest missions conference in the world in terms of numbers of people participating. 4,200 participants, 197 countries were here in Cape Town. <coughs> and the reason why the World Missions Conference was no longer being held in Northern Hemisphere is because the center of equilibrium of Christianity has moved south. This means the discipling of Africa is becoming super important because the whole character and direction of the church in the future is going to be determined in Africa because this is where the largest number of Christians are at this time. And for many denominations, overwhelmingly so. Particularly when you think of the Anglican Church, Africa is the center of equilibrium now. How large is the church in Africa? Well, officially, according to Operation World, we're talking about 600 million Christians in Africa. 
That's absolutely colossal. This includes 50 million Anglicans. This includes 150 million Pentecostals. includes over 150 million Protestants. It includes a huge amount of Charismatics and African Independent Churches too. But 600 million people in Africa call themselves Christians. That means already we are at uh, more than half of the total population of Africa would call themselves Christians. How fast is the church growing in Africa? Well, so fast that according to Operation World, the church in Africa is going to double in numbers by 2050. Now, that's only 28 years from now. In 28 years, they expect the number of Christians in Africa to double. That is phenomenal. And when you think of ourselves as a literature mission, the challenge of trying to provide Bibles for Africa is huge because how can you keep pace with that kind of church growth? The church growth is so phenomenal. It's so big that I know many pastors who might have three, four, five or more congregations to care for. It was not unusual in Sudan to find a single bishop who had gone on a speaking tour like Bishop Bullandoli and he had baptized 18,000 people on one bishop's circuit. That's how fast the church is growing. And you might have a pastor who's got six to ten congregations he must care for. And when we donate them a bicycle, we're increasing the amount of congregations he can get to in a single Sunday. And they're going from one church to the other because there just aren't enough pastors. And we can make it even more clear than that. It's not just one pastor having multiple congregations to care for. Most of the churches in Africa do not have a pastor who has any Bible college training. Most pastors in the continent of Africa have no formal training whatsoever. Forget about theological training, not even a Bible college training. So the situation in Africa is the church is growing so fast, we are not producing enough leaders to cope with the people being converted in Africa. And we're not producing enough Bibles to keep up with it either. There are, according to Operation World, more than 100 million churchgoers in Africa who do not even have a Bible, do not even have a New Testament. Forget about which language at all, not even in their second language. So the situation in Africa is, is both exciting and it's serious because the church is growing and we can praise God for that. People have been converted by in great numbers from Islam and from animism, huge amounts of church growth, but we're not keeping pace with leadership training or literature distribution, certainly not when it comes to Bibles. Every person should have a Bible in the church. But more than that, you'd think every pastor should have a Bible. In fact, forget about pastors' libraries. Many don't even have a study Bible. Some pastors do not even have a Bible, which sounds almost impossible, but that's how bad the situation has got. On one sense, it's a success in terms of church growth, but in the other sense, it's a failure because the church depth has not kept pace with the church growth. Some people say the church in Africa is miles wide and inches deep. I think that is, is a challenge. We don't want it to be like that, and it's not always so. But you can imagine if you've got a church where the pastor doesn't even have a Bible and the pastor has no formal training and the average person at church doesn't even have a New Testament in hand, you can imagine how false teachings and bad practices could easily multiply. So the situation is dire. We need far more leadership trainers. We need far more literature and a lot more Bibles in Africa to cope with the phenomenal growth of the church in Africa. What are the biblical predictions for the future of the church in Africa? Well, the Bible does say that the, the people of Cush, the land of Cush, will submit themselves to God. That It speaks about revival coming to the people beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, uh, where the land is being devastated, where vultures are picking uh, the bones, where there's literally a harvest of horror, vast amounts of dead bodies lying on the ground. Zephaniah speaks about this, Isaiah 18, that uh, amidst a lot of suffering, yet 
God's people bring offerings to God, sacrifices, and that there will be revival and that a trumpet will sound for all the world to see what is going on in the land beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, in the land divided by rivers, which I see as Sudan. Sudan is the land divided by rivers, including the longest river in the world, the Nile River, which comes in, in the blue Nile from Ethiopia and the white Nile from Uganda. And so this land divided by rivers, people of strange speech and aggressive people, in fact, the Sudanese people have been at war for a long time. There was a time that Sudan conquered Egypt, the superpower of its age. Uh, in fact, there's even Sudanese uh, pharaoh who came to the aid of Israel uh, when uh, they were being attacked by Syria. And so historically, they've been quite a military power. And they still are a significant military power. And the wars have been continuing. So there are predictions in the Bible about phenomenal revival taking place in Africa the people of Kush in particular, and there's many predictions about Ethiopia as well. So, yes, quite aside from the general predictions that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, that all the families and nations of the world will come to worship the Lord, we can expect all the predictions of the fulfillment of the Great Commission to be fulfilled in Africa. We cannot allow this great continent to be sidetracked into heresy and false teaching. And sadly, right now, Many false teachings are pouring into Africa, largely because of TV and televangelists from overseas. The name it, claim it, and frame it, gab it, and grab it, prosperity cult has made terrible inroads in Nigeria, Zimbabwe, and South Africa in particular. Uh, you can imagine very few people suffering persecution in Sudan are going to be attracted to the name it, claim it, and frame it, speak into existence, gab it, and grab it crowd. But I'm afraid the prosperity, health, and wealth gospel has made devastating impact across many churches, and there's a lot of superficial, shallow, sensational, and other unbiblical inventions. What are some of the challenges for the future of the church in Africa? Well, obviously, persecution of the church is very significant, mainly for Marxist and Muslim governments. We get a huge amounts of persecution, especially in Northern Africa. I've specialized in caring for persecuted churches and restricted access areas for the last 40 years. I've worked in 38 countries, been involved in eight different wars and involved in three revolutions, and our mission is primarily to help the persecuted church. So during this time, we've been bombed, strafed, ambushed, uh, imprisoned, uh, Mozambique, Angola, Zambia, and when Zambia was under a Marxist dictator, and in Sudan. So... Uh, persecution church is significant. Marxism is a problem. There's liberation theology, which Marxists are trying to infiltrate in the church. There's a danger of syncretism, where people seek to mix either animism and Christianity or Marxism and Christianity, such as seen in liberation the theology, so-called, which is, there's no liberation, there's certainly no theology in it either. So it's a misnomer, but that's a term used. So there are challenges. The church is facing attempts to hijack it, derail it, uh, defile it, to get it into unbiblical doctrines and in order to subvert the church leadership. We are facing attacks from witchcraft, sometimes very openly, and violent persecution is definitely part of it. I think we've also got to say that there's also danger from temptation and materialism, which is particularly seen not just from the secular culture, but from the name it, claim it, and frame it, prosperity, health, and wealth gospel, so-called, small g for gospel there. Those are some of the challenges that we've got to face, and we've got to deal with these effectively. But, of course, probably the biggest single challenge is the fact that the vast majority of pastors in Africa have no good Bible college training, 
and the average member has no access to a Bible. And that's why literature and leadership training are two of our main emphases. What is the greatest need for the church in Africa at this time? Without a shadow of a doubt, it's leadership training and literature. And so literature and leadership training, these two L's, are two of the main priorities of our mission, for example. We want to provide people with Bibles. When I first went into Angola and asked the local people, what do you need? We saw sick people, hungry people, sometimes thin and starving people, even people without limbs, uh, be suffered from landmine, maybe blown off a foot or something like that. And we heard them saying, Biblia, Biblia. They wanted Bibles. So right from the beginning, I learned that our first priority is Bibles. The local church always identified Bibles as the first need. And whether it was Mozambique, Angola, Sudan, everywhere I went, the people were regularly saying, we need more Bibles. And then the next thing after a while would be, we need more Bible teaching. So from literature to leadership training, from Bibles to Bible teaching, those are without a doubt the most urgent and strategic important needs of the church in Africa. How is Frontline Fellowship seeking to respond to this challenge? Well, on a number of levels. So we've done a lot of itinerant uh, ministry where we've traveled around the continents. I've undertaken multiple missions all over Africa and just in Sudan alone, I did 27 missions myself that I led, conducting about 1,200 public meetings inside Sudan, which everything from church services through to seminars, conferences, leadership training, workshops, and so on. And plainly, I tried, as we've always tried to our people, to get involved in itinerant leadership training. We run seminars, whether it's the discipleship training course or a biblical worldview seminar or biblical preaching workshop. We have tried Reformation conferences. We also have had training sessions for chaplains, medics. Uh, so that has been a major part of trying to input into people's lives, training leaders that they need. But then we want to leave literature. So I started to ask many of our friends overseas, authors like Dr. James Kindy, if they could donate some books to us. My first request is, do you have any books that are damaged or shop soiled or maybe the binding is a bit poor and you might throw it out? And I know there are many publishing houses which literally throw or pulp large amounts of what they consider defective binding or defective printing or some. sometimes you get something that's shop soiled or maybe it's just the cover's a bit bent because of bad storage. So I said, please send it to us. We need them in Africa. And in fact, a lot of people are thrilled to get some of these slightly damaged books and Bibles that we could use. Uh, after a while, we start to find some authors like James Kendi were awfully generous and gave us full-on whole box of brand-new books as a donation. Maybe they were tithing their books or whatever. Dr. R.C. Sproul actually donated us 2,000 Reformation study Bibles, which was absolute gold, to distribute these study Bibles to pass across Africa. And we made sure people earned them in a sense of salvation is free, but a study Bible uh, you need to earn by Bible memorization, uh, doing well at a Bible exam. We, we made sure people earned it through a range of showing their dedication and enthusiasm. And uh, you can imagine when supply doesn't keep up with demand, there's a huge amount of demand. Uh, that's when we start to bring in, okay, well, those people who do excellently, sometimes it's the person that the best at the Bible exam gets the Reformation Study Bible, and it's been a reward. We've donated them to graduates of, for example, back to the Bible mission that they've had Reformation Study Bibles as a graduation gift. Uh, this has been something I've entrusted to pastors all over Africa uh, with discretion. And then I realized we weren't getting enough books and Bibles from overseas, so I started to write some books of my own that we could 
have that's very compact, which is a reason why you notice we don't waste paper. We sometimes have uh, more text per page than most people would put in. And we certainly don't have blank pages at the end because when you've got to pay for the printing and for the, uh, not just postage, but the fuel to fly these in, if you're flying in these aircraft, and then you've got to carry them in your backpacks, you don't want these ancillary books, which is lots of blank pages and lots of wide margins and lots of white space uh, where there's very little text. And some books are like that because they want them to look bigger in the shop. Packaging in America is very good. Uh, the content's sometimes not keeping up with the packaging, promising. But we don't do that. We go for compact books that are packed full of material. And so one of the first books I wrote was Biblical Principles for Africa. The goal being, let's give this to people who attend our seminars and courses. And it was after being imprisoned in Zambia, I took one of our friends that we uh, came into contact with because of being locked up in Kenneth Gonda's detention barracks. Uh, he had a presidential detainee's um, cell in Lusaka Central Prison. And so after a couple of weeks in Lusaka Central Prison, I'd made friends such as with General Godfrey Meander, who later became Vice President of Zambia and Minister of Education. So I took him a whole pile of great books, uh, Rashtini's uh, Institutes of Biblical Law and other great books and on Institute of Christian Economics and things like this. I gave him a pile of these and he sat there and he groaned and he said, I love books, I love reading, but the demands of office give me very little time for reading. Don't you have a small book? Want to summarize all of these? I mean, I'd given a big pile of books. And so that was the challenge. And I wrote Biblical Principles for Africa as a small book, just over 100 pages, to summarize all of these big books, giving in short, con concise chapters Biblical Principles for Government, Biblical Principles for Education, for Economics, uh, for a whole range of things, crime and punishment, and to give them basis for how to rebuild a society on Biblical Principles. And uh, Biblical uh, political principles and teachings of Christ, uh, biblical principles of government, all of these, uh, we, like the importance of the Sabbath and so on, and God's law of chaos, these were different chapters, and biblical principles of Africa became so successful, I even had the presence of Zambia and Malawi writing to me expressing their appreciation for this book, and both the Zambian and the Malawian parliaments ordered quantities of biblical principles of Africa to be distributed to their members. They bought hundreds of copies and they were handing them out to the civil servants and members of Palm, which is exactly what I had in mind. Which is why you can see this book, Biblical Principles of Africa, is quite small. We designed it that would fit in a suit pocket. I'm thinking like a parliamentarian takes it in a suit pocket. He can pull it out and he can get quick biblical principles for almost any legislation they're considering and uh, that this would actually be a practical help. It's been translated into French and Afrikaans since many editions. Regularly out of print, had to be reprinted again and again and again. Now it's even available as an ebook and a print on demand. So important. Then I was challenged, that's biblical principles for countries. So then I went for biblical principles for individuals, discipleship handbook, and putting future faith, and practical discipleship. Also did the Ten Commands. I preached my way through the Ten Commands, expounding it, taking the Westminster Standards, Westminster Catechism, applying each of the Ten Commands as well, sins to be avoided, um, duties commanded, and applying it personally, congregationally, family-wise, and to the nation as a whole. And so preaching my way through the Ten Commands and producing a book, the Ten Commands, God's Perfect Law of Liberty, became a set book that we then distributed over the next year to anyone who attended one of our seminars or courses. So the idea is somebody comes to a course or seminar Frontline Fellowship, at the end of it, they're getting at least one new book to take home. Sometimes more. It depends how many books have been donated to us by pastors, authors overseas, 
or what Eagle's Nest has shipped us in the latest shipment container for Lichof Africa. But at least one of my books has been produced at one stage, just producing a new book every year. And then after Book of Principles and Ten Commands, it was putting feet, the, it was the power of prayer handbook, taking Andrew Murray and Dr. Martin Luther's instructions, how to focus your prayer life, how to pray and practice your prayers, how to restart the prayer meeting, uh, the fire of God, praying for justice, praying for the persecuted, with a whole lot of guidelines for national repentance and extended prayer focus, how people can have prayer nights and prayer chains and uh, praying through the night. Uh, so the Power of Prayer Handbook became another one that was super popular. We ran out of copies of that a long time ago. My wife did reforming our families to particularly help mothers in order to how to reform the home because the family is the basic building block of society and as goes the family, so goes the nation. So reforming our families became another major emphasis. Then my biggest projects ever was the Old Testament survey and the New Testament survey. So this involved in the approach for the Reformation 500, particularly the Zwingli Reformation in Switzerland where Ulrich Zwingli on the 1st of January 1519 began Matthew 1 verse 1 prayed verse by verse, line by line, expound his way through the Bible, especially the New Testament. So in in preparation for the Reformation 500 and uh, to call people back to the Bible, I preached my way through every book in the Old Testament and the New Testament, produced articles uh, for Joy Magazine, translated, of course, for Jörg Tetzgriff, and then did chapters for the Old Testament survey and New Testament survey, which then became books that we could donate to pastors uh, chaplains, evangelists, uh, Bible college lecturers and students to help them understand the key message and distinctives of every book of the Bible and to get people back to preaching the Bible, back to expository preaching. Uh, there was another book that we brought together, several of our workers together, Biblical Preaching Handbook, to introduce expository preaching, hermeneutics and uh, good ideas of exegesis. And so these Biblical Preaching Handbooks became another gift to people who attend our seminars and courses the next year. And the chaplain's handbook became super important because, again, many people not trained. How do you guide them? Well, I'm thinking of the, the prayer book that uh, was used by Archbishop Thomas Cranmer. So he put in the chaplain's handbook guidelines for prayer for the incorporated parts of the Book of Common Prayer, also introducing them to some of the great creeds of the faith from the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, 39 Articles, Art of Preaching, uh, Key Principles for Evangelism, for Prayer, uh, for Evangelism Explosion, some Key Doctrines on Trinity of Christ, Biblical Character, Testimony of the Apostles, uh, Suffering in the Bible, Spiritual Warfare, all of these, how to run a service, how to run a funeral service, how to handle a commissioning service, uh, marriage services. We put a whole lot of these things in so that a pastor or chaplain in the army, the prisons or the police would have a basic handbook. And this was requested by the Zambian and the Sudanese Christian governments uh, to have a chaplain's handbook. That was another practical one. We also did to inspire people in the school textbooks, the Great Century of Missions, Great Century of Reformation. And for those wanting to improve this society from, to protect us from the secular humanist threats like abortion, euthanasia, the LGBTQ perversion, um, the Make a Difference, a Christian Action Handbook for Southern Africa. So these are just some of the books that we've produced, sometimes other manuals, even wider than that. So Frontlines tried to serve the church in Africa by providing good books, Bibles, study Bibles, 
leadership training courses like a Great Commission course, our discipleship training course, Biblical Worldview Seminars and Summits, and Reformation Conferences, Biblical Preaching Workshops, short-term leadership training programs, and wherever possible, we would channel the people towards a Bible culture like Back to the Bible Mission, where they could get an intensive three-year training program. Not that that was workable for everyone. Some people were locked into their commitments, but long-term, that's always excellent. They get more thoroughly uh, trained for the work. And we still have a vision of a Livingston Missionary School and Livingston Farm in the future where we will be planning and preparing for body, mind, and spirit, comprehensive training Christians to win Africa for Christ. How effective is literature for discipleship? Very effective. Literature is super powerful. The Bible makes it clear. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And God's word never turns void. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It's a double-edged sword. Word of God is absolutely vital. If people want to increase their faith, they need to increase the study of God's word. And so literature is key. It can be smuggled in. It can be read in secret. And we can leave it behind. <coughs> in a sense, you could say, us missionaries are scaffolding. But the real building is done by the literature because I will visit, I will give some teaching and preaching, I will leave. But the Bibles and books that we leave behind, that continues to guide the people on a regular basis and enrich their lives and lead them deep into the scriptures and the heritage of our Christian traditions in the, in the faith. So I believe literature is absolutely vital and many people can't afford to go for years of study, but if they will read and be students of the word of God, I might learn more than all their teachers. What can listeners do to be part of this great work of <coughs> providing Bibles for Africa? Well, there's some good ministries out there that are seeking to help. So, for example, in America, there's a group called Eagle's Nest Ministries where they encourage people to send, you, send us your Bibles and books that you might have spare. Now, these could be damaged ones. These could be things that you inherited from your grandmother, somebody else's library, or things that you picked up at a local store maybe a second-hand store, and you want to give a new lease of life, some churches decided we're going to trade in our old um, Bibles, which maybe they've changed their Bibles, or maybe they're now going for electronic and everything's up on a the screen. They're no longer wanting pew Bibles. Well, don't, uh, don't abandon them. Send them through to Eagle's Nest. They'll ship them to Africa. We'll give them a new lease of life. There are people crying and praying for these Bibles. Then you get Gideon's Bibles that have been donated to hospitals, <coughs> churches or schools, maybe the hotel closes, well what happens to Gideon's Bibles? We'll ship them to Eagle's Nest, they will see they get to Africa or Asia or South America, they ship all over the world but of course we benefit from the one ship to Cape Town and uh, so there are ministries such as Eagle's Nest Ministries which are providing us with great resources that we are able to sort through, catalogue and uh, designate and see that these get in the hands of people who will most appreciate, best use and apply them. So that's one practical thing you can do. If people live close by us in Cape Town, they can just bring us their boxes of, well, these are books of Bibles we saw around at our church. Or sometimes you have a church had an outreach planned, and maybe the outreach ended and they still have a few boxes of Bibles or New Testament that they didn't get to distribute. And, well, instead of just waiting for some uh, events in the future when they might need them, they know that people can use them right now, they ship them through to us and we are able to give them another lease of life. And these are great answers to prayer. So people can help that way. Now, 
of course, if you're getting people donating Bibles and books from America, they're going to be mostly in English. Some will be in Spanish. Sometimes you get things in French and Portuguese because of uh, Brazil and South America. And we need Portuguese. Portuguese is the major language in Africa, Mozambique and Angola in particular. French is a huge language in Africa. It's the official language of over 20 countries, such as the Congo, so Ivory Coast, Mali, and so on. So we can use French Bibles. We can use Portuguese Bibles. And maybe people get French Bibles from Canada. And uh, at this stage, Bibles are still allowed in Canada. I don't think Justin Trudeau's got to ban them yet, but you can ship your Bibles to us in Africa. We'll use French Bibles. People will be thrilled at that or other Christian books. But now, what about indigenous African languages? Now, of course, most people are going to benefit more from reading the Bible in their own language. And so, how do I get Bibles in Zulu, Chichewa, Bemba, uh, Shona, uh, Indabeli, the languages of Africa? Well, that means I've got to get from the Bible Society, and those are actually normally very expensive. Sadly, the Bible Society no longer gets the kind of subsidies they used to get from the South African Defence Force. When we had national service in South Africa, the tithe of the soldiers was automatically sent through to the Bible Society, and they were able to subsidize all Bibles. And when I was converted in 1977, my first Bible, hardcover Bible, cost two rand. And that's because Bible Society was subsidizing, thanks to the Southern Defence Force's actual uh, subsidies, which they gave through tithes from national servicemen. We don't have that anymore, sadly. However, the Bible Society does have Bibles in all these different languages, some of them very expensive because it's not as cost-effective. Their best Bible distributors at one stage were the South African Army, for example. They used to buy huge quantities. And I remember some who uh, sacrificed in order to get the Bible in Braille in some languages like Guanyama. Uh, and there were some great projects that, that Bible studies and coffee bars and units I've served in the Army sought to raise funds for. Uh, but today, you don't get too many churches and youth groups doing this. But if some church and youth groups can make it a project to do some fundraising or decide we're going to do some fasting and the money we would have spent on food during the time we're going to send to uh, Bibles for special projects, indigenous African language Bibles, and we can then use that money to buy, say, Bibles in Tsuchewa for Malawi or in Bemba for Zambia or in Lavali and Lachazi for Angola, uh, in Moro and uh, Krongu for Sudan, uh, Shangan for Mozambique, Longwe, Zulu and Kosa is very popular in South Africa, of course. Afrikaans very much across Namibia, a major language there. So if we can have um, certain amounts of designations of funds for indigenous African la languages, what we call special projects, that will enable us to get Bibles in people's local languages, which means so much to them. And there's no doubt people are more receptive in the home language. And people learn the best in the mother tongue. It's, it's a great privilege to do it. And people are so thrilled to get the Bible in their own language. So that is another way that one can help supporting Literature for Africa. We've got on the Frontline Mission, SA.org website, some of the special projects and um, priority projects, which include give, send, go options for things like Literature for Africa in general, special projects, Indigenous African language Bibles in particular, and other leadership training literature projects, special books and Bibles we're trying to print, and so on. So that is an exciting project. I've seen churches and youth groups do fundraising drives such as car washing or cake bake sales or whatever, and then the money they get from that, they send to some particular missionary project overseas. That's quite exciting when you can make an impact like that. And uh, I know there's a, a tremendous excitement about being able to invest in eternity. To think of the fact that our money down here on earth is not going to last. And in fact, quite aside from the fact that 
some governments are working very hard to devalue currency. Investing in this world has very limited returns, and maybe it's very short term. And a lot of our paper money might end up actually quite worthless after a while. But while you can't take your money with you, there's no U-Haul or trailer on a hearse, you can't take it with you, you can send it on ahead by investing in the Bank of Eternity. So there was this famous quote when the richest man in the world at that time, John D. Rockefeller, when he died, and uh, a newspaper reported, how much did he leave behind? And the answer was all of it, which is so true. He left it all behind. You can't take it with you. Uh, it also reminds me of General Robert E. Lee uh, when he was when he had had his farm, his estate stolen by the Yankees, and they would start to use it as a Arlington Cemetery, planting Yankees all over his yard. And so he lost his home, his estate, everything, his means of income. He was destitute at the end of the war. Principled man. Well, some people started to give him accommodation and help him in different ways. And being the kind of gentleman Robert E. Lee was, he didn't like taking charity from people. So he said to this one host of his, um, I must pay you back. And the um, host said, very well, General, but I will only accept repayment in Confederate dollars. Now, of course, during the war, the Confederate currency, which was promissory notes, paper notes, um, became worthless at the end because of the war and the sanctions. And when the Union forces and the carpetbaggers came and looted the South, the Confederate currency became basically worthless. So... Uh, Robert E. Lee was saying, you can pay me back, but only pay me back in Confederate dollars. That's just a way of him getting out of um, this man wanting him to wanting to pay him back for his, his services. And uh, so what a clever way. You can only pay me back with Confederate dollars. But again, if we think of currency, and just in Zimbabwe, I grew up in Rhodesia, where our dollar was very strong, but the Marxists devalued the whole currency so that a $100 trillion note Hundred trillion dollar note. You didn't mishear that. Couldn't buy a loaf of bread. And you've seen some of the notes we've got in our display cabinets up here. Fifty billion dollar notes, hundred trillion dollar note, and so on. Well, you can imagine these poor people who might have thought they were very rich and had all this currency. That money became worthless. The government just kept printing more and more money, devaluing what it is. But if they could have turned that money into something valuable, in terms of advancing the kingdom of God, then um, that's a wise investment. And Jesus says you invest in the bank of eternity, you can get even up to a hundredfold. Where in the world can you get a 10,000% return on your investment? Only in a bank of eternity. So I think people can help by investing in missions and get an excitement of you can have a role in winning Africa for Christ and discipling future generations who are going to impact not only a continent, but the world, because the church in Africa is going to become most of the Christians in the world in the lifetime of many of our heroes. Just think, by 2050, they expect the number of Christians in Africa to double, making Africa the most Christian continent in the world, and the continent with the fastest growing churches, with more Christians than any other continent in the world, and perhaps even more Christians than every other continent in the world combined. That's the predictions of present trends continue. That is, in one sense, daunting, but on the other hand, it's a wonderful challenge. If we can rise to the occasion with our Livingston Missionary School, Livingston Farm, Great Commission courses, body, mind, and spirit, missionary internship programs, training a new generation of reformers and evangelists like the Lollards who will go out and who will proclaim the gospel in the marketplaces and sow seeds for future Reformation revival throughout Africa. So our vision of Africa for Christ and the complete and utter destruction of communism, Islam, secular humanism, animism, and witchcraft, seeing the triumph of the, of the Great Commission and the fulfillment of Christ's commands for the church, this is a 
vision worth living for and worth investing in. How can we be more effective in leadership training of the church in Africa? I think if we can have a farm where we can have people come to where we can train them. I'm just thinking how much I benefited from my military training where we were given intensive training from PT in the morning all the way through all the practical skills. If we could have a missionary farm, I'm thinking of Livingston Farm, where we will teach the people everything from agriculture that they can be self-sufficient and teach good agriculture to their people, which is exactly what the World Economic Forum does not want. They don't want people able to feed themselves. Self-sufficient, everyone depends on the government and the UN superstate. But to avoid the famine that's coming in Africa, we need people know how to do agriculture. That would be part of our missionary training at Livingston Farm. <coughs> and then teaching carpentry, plumbing, electrical appliances, a whole range of things, skills that you need, whether it's mechanical, how to fix your vehicles, generators, um, solar panels, uh, means of electricity, power, all sorts of things like that. And of course, evangelism. We train our people not just physically, mentally, spiritually, but practically. The goal being to arrange and prepare self-sufficient missionaries who will know how to build, fix, repair, keep going, persevere and have a sustainable model that will both provide for the needs of themselves and their family and also be an example to the rest of the congregation in Christian work ethic and uh, ingenuity. And we think that our Livingston Missionary School, and we've chosen the title very carefully because its abbreviation is LMS, short for London Missionary Society, which was the mission that sent out David Livingston, Robert Moffat, and many other great missionaries. So LMS, or Livingston Missionary School today, would be an idea to try and produce the kind of quality of missionaries who transformed Africa, laid such good foundations. I'm afraid to say we're not getting such high quality of missionaries these days because in many cases people are bringing the bad superficial materialism and shallowness of the West. What Africa needs is the Bible. They don't need Western culture. They certainly don't need Hollywood or any of these variations <clears throat> such as the health and wealth gospel. And so what we're wanting to do is to train people thoroughly in theology in biblical preaching, in Reformation principles, Christian history, and practical skills that will enable him to survive in Africa. Now, I had the privilege growing up in Rhodesia that we got woodwork and metalwork at school. We also learned commerce at school. We had to do at least a year of each of these practical subjects, even though I loved history the most. And then we also got practical in the field. They taught us cadets, marching, drilling, shooting. And the, my favorite was bushcraft when we'd go to the game reserve in my case, Mushendike, which is close to Victoria, close to Fort Victoria and the Zimbabwe ruins and Lake Kyle. And the game rangers would teach us how to track, anti-track, how to uh, plot your ways, direction finding, how to make a fire, how to make shelter, how to get water in uh, the bush and uh, how to survive, how to be able to cook and all these practical things in the field, including if it's raining and so on. So... How many schools teach you practical skills like that today? And how many Bible colleges, missionary schools do? Well, there's not many. Um, I've been to one New Tribes mission where they teach quite a lot of practical things, Bush School, but most missionaries don't get anything resembling that kind of practical training. We try to introduce people to it in our Great Commission course, but that's just a three-week uh, program, which is a nice introduction to good boot, boot school, so to speak, or boot camp. But what our vision is with Livingston Farm and Livingston Missionary School is a self-supporting missionary 
base, which is a farm that will both employ people and be able to feed ourselves and sell food for other things. In order to train people on this camp, we can have also short-term camps and courses coming in from churches and youth groups and schools that our missionaries can work amongst, lead them and run many of the groups and Bible study groups. They can be a blessing to these people and people are looking for good campsites. We'll have great obstacle courses, things like this, fun things, teach them everything from abseiling to archery. And <clears throat> our missionaries in the meantime are learning, training, getting practical, getting a daily discipline of devotions and of PT, physical training, hikes and outreaches. They'll know where the master, evangelism, explosion, Muslim evangelism, and a whole lot of other specialized training that's absolutely essential to be good in fulfilling a great commission. I think this is what we can do to be able to advance the gospel. And then we've got another help in Africa Christian Network, which we've launched, which is already well over 7 million Christians around Africa and over 7 million, sorry, I should say 7 million Christians, about 7,000 congregations, over 200 different groups that are affiliated under Africa Christian Network. And we send them regular Bible teaching materials, the five solos of the Reformation, uh, going through book by book, expository teachings for every book in the Bible, and seeking to help and speak up for Christians around Africa who may be under persecution or uh, lacking training. And so between this Africa Christian Network, our Reformation Society, and the um, Great Commission courses, Livingston Missionary School, Livingston Missionary Farm, we hope that we can create a real dynamo to produce hundreds more good, suitable missionaries and train trainees who can go out in Africa like the Lords and lay some good foundations for future reformation. Where can we learn more about this movement to promote a back-to-the-Bible reformation throughout the church and continent of Africa? If you go to the christianaction.org.za website, christianaction.org.za website, you'll learn more about the Africa Christian Network. You can go onto the Frontline Mission, sa.org website, Frontline Mission, SA, short for South Africa. There's also the Frontline Mission, NA, short for North America site, which people can order books from in North America, but in South Africa's Frontline Mission, sa.org, you'll see articles to do with Africa Christian Network, the Reformation Society, going through the Bible book by book, which is both a sermon audio series, and uh, you can get the books, including prints on demand, hard copy or e-books, Old Testament Survey, New Testament Survey, other great resources like this. We have tried to set up a lot of free Bible teaching and resources from meaning free books, free e-books, free PDF books and so on on our William Carey Bible Institute website, which is very user-friendly, designed to help people with absolutely free materials that they can use for personal study training or for leading Bible studies and prayer groups in their different churches or seminars and conferences. There's different chapters such as Muslim Evangelism, Great Commission, Missions History, Church History, and Reformation History, and so on. Evangelism, apologetics, there's a range of things that can be helpful. Uh, creation, science, um, uh, creation ministry, creation evangelism, that's also part of it. So if people go to William Carey BI, William Carey BI, short for Bible Institute.org, William Carey BI.org website, they'll get a lot of great Bible study materials. The Reformation Society, you can go on to Reformation www.reformation.org um, and you will see a lot of great resources there. On Facebook, we're Reformation 500. And you'll also see Africa Christian Network as a Facebook page, Frontline Fellowship, and so on. 
Are there examples of Bible-based missions in Africa seeking to comprehensively fulfill the Great Commission, body, mind, and spirit? Well, I'm glad to say yes, there are. There's Back to the Bible Mission, based in Mpumalanga near Barberton, and they have a three-year program training pastors, chaplains, and evangelists uh, in every book in the Bible, and it's also got PT, regular outreaches, prayer times, fasting days, a whole lot of very body, mind, and spirit. You can see it's it's a, it's a lovely venue in a remote valley, far from distractions of the city and the town, and so it's a great place for Bible-based training and preparation for winning Africa for Christ, which is their vision. And then there's the Kwasi Sabantu missions. Kwasi Sabantu means the place that helps people in Zulu. That's the name people gave to it. The ministry of Erlo Stegen, who came from a Lutheran background, Reverend Erlo Stegen developed, I think without a doubt, the most successful and blessed mission base anywhere in the continent of Africa. And there are multiple smaller bases and outlying stations that they've set up as far afield as Paraguay and Ukraine. So praise God for Kwasavanta Mission. They've got a hospital even in, in Mozambique. They've done work as far afield as Angola and Congo, Zimbabwe, and so on. So you can visit www.ksb.org.za, KSB, short for Kwasavanta Mission. They have a teacher training college. They've got a school. They've got radio stations. They've got a workable farm, a very effective farm, and bottling factory. They do all sorts of practical things there. But... For example, you just take the youth conference. I spoke recently at the youth conference in July. 7,000 young people gathered together for a youth conference. I mean, what an impact in the next generation. Earlier this year in March, they had a minister's conference. They have the minister's conferences every two years. They have youth conferences every six months. And there were over 2,000 ministers, missionaries and evangelists from over 60 countries, all over Africa, all over the world, came to the minister's conference. How strategic you can reach so many people through these type of conferences and Kwasavanta Mission because they're a, a farm that's operational, self-sufficient. They don't need to charge people for accommodation or food. They very generously provide free accommodation and host people for these conferences. Imagine catering for 7,000 young people. That's three meals a day for 7,000 people, more because there's people who live on a base as well. But on a Sunday, average Sunday, they might be catering for 10,000 people. And uh, this mission is such an effective farm that they are able to do this without even taking up an offering. It's a faith mission, extraordinary operation, but body, mind, and spirit has been a site of revival. They've experienced a lot of God's blessings. I don't know any mission anywhere in the continent of Africa or worldwide that compares with Christmas in terms of impact and in terms of uh, spiritual vitality and blessing. God's poured his blessings out in this work for many years. In fact, the revival dates back to 1966. Reverend Ulla Stegen recently celebrated 70 years of ministering the gospel amongst the Zulus. 70 years. And so visit ksb.org.za and you'll see a mission that's it's just to look at the pictures is inspiring enough. If you go into the frontline missionessay.org website, you'll see some reports we've got of it and books that have been produced, like Bond Servant of Christ is a recent book that gives the testimony of Reverend Ulla Stegen, who's managed to build a sustainable model where through farming, this mission is able to be self-sufficient and bless the local communities in a most phenomenal way. They're a major force for good and of leadership training and ministry to the youth. We need many more ministries like that to respond to the challenge for winning Africa for Christ and discipling the continent. Are there any upcoming events that we can be praying for 
and supporting in this campaign? Yes, uh, so the first Sunday in October every year is International Life Chain Sunday. So on the 1st of October, which is the first Sunday in October, there'll be life chains all over the country and the continent and the world making a stand for the right to life of preborn babies against uh, the violence and injustice of abortion. 31st of October is Reformation Day, when you remember the birthday of all Bible-believing evangelical churches. Mo Professor Martin Luther nailing the 95 Theses on the church door in Wittenberg. So 31 October is a major Reformation Day event. We have, uh, before that, also a Reformation Art and Essay Competition, Variety Concert, the Faith Family Fair, which uh, people can learn more about from going onto our ReformationEssay.org website. Uh, on the 12th of November, the second Sunday in November, there's International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted. We seek to remember the Persecuted Church. We've got a website, idop-africa.org, which has got articles, videos, uh, Bible studies to help people inform and mobilize their congregation to pray for the persecuted. And in January of 2024, we will have a Biblical Worldview Summit and a Great Commission course. So these are some upcoming events that people can get involved in or help sponsor other people to support and attend. Uh, we'd be very grateful for that. You can get hold of us visiting the Frontline Mission Essay.org website or you can email me personally, peter at frontline.org.za. P-E-T-E-R at F-R-O-N-T-L-A-N-E dot O-R-G dot Z-A or as Americans would say Z-A, we would say Z-A in the English-speaking world. But um, <clears throat> Please check us out. You can find us on Facebook as well. Sermon Audio. We've got lots of resources out there that people can benefit from and share with others. Our vision is back to the Bible for reformation and revival. Thank you, Dr. Hammond. And thank you, heroes, for joining us tonight. This is Ryan Underwood. We're from the front line discussing the strategic importance of Africa and its greatest need. God bless and good night.